whatever the news would say. Those kids, because of the teachers who volunteered to miss out on Pastor Mike's preaching today so that your kids and my kids and our grandkids and our nieces and nephews would be equipped to know why they believe in God, why we believe in God, and then share that with their friends. Let's go ahead and open our service with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, for the sake of your name and your glory and your majesty, please do a mighty work in our midst today. Save those whose need of a Savior is growing clearer by the day. Their own heart testifies to their own situation, Lord. They know because you've been drawing them. They need a Savior. They need Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you would do that work today. I pray, Lord, that you would heal failing bodies and fractured relationships. The toll of living in a sin-cursed world is plain to those whose bodies aches and groans. Don't cooperate any longer and, in fact, has decided to rebel against our every wish. We hurt. We're in pain. We are suffering in these frail human bodies, Lord, and we ask that you would bring divine healing. Yes, we are finite. Yes, we are weak, but you have promised for us an eternal body without pain when we reach heaven. But in the meantime, Lord, we ask that you would heal us and help us along. The same can be said of our relationships, Lord. None of us are immune to dysfunctional family, fractured family ties. But the pain doesn't end there, Lord. It, its reaches extend far into the lives of us at work or school, with our neighbors in the community, and as ashamed as we are to admit this, Lord, it happens inside these four walls just the same. We are sinners like we've confessed and we've asked for you to forgive us, but Lord, now we are crying out to you and asking that you would bring reconciliation where the two opposing parties agree that they were both guilty and they agree to hold it against each other no longer and they agree to move forward in a common goal. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to obey your word and follow in the steps of Christ and that you would bring restoration. Lord, we ask that you be with the other gospel-preaching churches across the nation this morning, and I think of First Baptist in Fenton and Pastor James. Lord, continue to heal his body and bless him as he preaches this morning. Bless our brothers and sisters in those other churches, Lord, and do a work in their midst as well. Lord, be with our missionaries whose Sunday morning has probably already come and gone and they've already preached and they've already served you on the Lord's Day, but Lord, their work is never done because those that they're ministering to have no idea or concept of personal space or personal time or off time or downtime or a day off. Our missionaries are tired, but Lord, they don't grow weary in well-doing. They are confident in you and I pray that you would encourage them that you would equip them, that you would send them friends and bless their ministries. And I pray, Lord, that you would send them fellow laborers, perhaps even from this very church, two, three, four families to various parts of the country as we continue to spread the gospel to all nations, tongues, and tribes. I pray, Lord, that you would bless this country and its leaders, guide and direct those who make decisions and are in positions of power, May they all be wise and God-honoring in all that they do. Save those who are lost. 
Father God, be with Pastor Daniel and Molly and the kids and cause them to create lasting family memories as they enjoy this vacation time. We love them and eagerly await their return, Lord, but we know that this time is good for them to disconnect and un unpack and just unwind for a little bit, Lord. And we pray that they would come back fully recharged and full of joy and eager to see us just like we are for them. I pray, Lord, for Pastor Mike, and as he brings the word today, he's going to be preaching for our own edification and our correction. And I pray that your word would have power, that it would change our lives, that we would be confronted with who we really are. So, Lord, bless Pastor Mike Use this message to chisel away the sin in our lives and don't let us hide behind our masks anymore. Don't let us hide behind a disguise or some well-kept facade. Help us to stop lying to you and each other and, and ourselves. We're not okay. At least many of us aren't. And I pray, Lord, that we would realize that the sooner we are honest with ourselves and others and especially you, that the better we're going to be. So, Lord, use this time of the preaching and teaching of your word to destroy our disguises, to remove our masks. Don't allow us to run from you another second. I know that you are drawing us close, and, Lord, you're like the father who's awaiting the prodigal son, Lord. You're getting up, and you're, and you're running. And I pray, Lord, that your word would grab a hold of our hearts and that the Holy Spirit would give us the gift of repentance this morning. And I ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our King. Amen. Thank you, Jason, for leading us in prayer. And I am always so excited to have the opportunity to open the word uh, with you all. Um, every time I do, though, I, I have to be really honest with you. I, there's times where I go into passages and I feel like, wow, this one's really going to step on a few toes. And yet, as I dig and as I study, the one whose toes get crushed the most are this guy's. And uh, this morning is going to be much the same, I fear. Um, but, you know, there, there is joy in being bludgeoned by the word of God. <laughs> Because the joy, the joy is that we grow in our walk with him. We mature in our journey. We take the steps that he has for us. So I hope that all of us, as we, as we dig into the word this morning, that we lean into the text, that we lean into the truths that God has for us, and that we'd come with honest hearts, ready to receive all of the truths that God has for us. So our passage this morning is going to come at the very end of the book of John. I, I love John. And I, I read this book probably more than any other because if you, if you look at the book of John, his purpose in writing, he says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you might have life in his name. And there are times in my walk where, man, I, I, can, I need more gospel, <laughs> Every day of my life, I need more gospel, which is why I spend so much time soaking in the book of John. And today, today we're going to be looking at John chapter 21. And the title of our message is, Do You Love Me? You know, love is an interesting word, isn't it? Often used, though seldom really truly understood. You know, I, I love the Packers. Anybody love the Packers out there? 
<laughs> my whole family raised their hand. It's my favorite sports team. You know, I've cheered for them my entire life. And don't, don't judge me. I'm not a fair weather fan. We cheered for them through horrible seasons. And you guys can relate to horrible seasons, right? Oh, that was a dig. I love ice cream. I share that love with my brother, Ben Martin. He loves ice cream. I don't think anybody loves it more than Ben, probably. But you know, loving ice cream is something that, that I enjoy. Mint chocolate chip, probably my favorite. I love the movie Princess Bride. One of my favorites. Young kids, you probably don't know it, or maybe you do. Maybe your parents have forced you to watch it. Great movie if you haven't. I love the outdoors. I love camping. I love fishing. I love hiking. I love kayaking. And some Sunday mornings, you'll see me come in and my face will be beet red. It's probably because I was enjoying one of those things with my family. But you know, there, there's a shift then in the way that I speak of the love that I have for my bride, right? I better love her differently than the way I love kayaking or than the way that I love ice cream. You know, we're going to be married 20 years this summer, and I have to say that my love for my bride has grown more deeply in these last few years of our journey. You know, you never think that you could say, man, I love you more than when the day that I met you, but, but that is so true. I love my kids. I love their humor. I love their playfulness. I, I love their personalities. I love all of you. My church, my family. Yet in all of these connections, though meaningful and enduring, none of them ought to hold a candle to the way that I love Jesus. You know, Paul describes what true and genuine and lasting love looks like in his book to the Corinthians. He tells us that God's purpose in love is, is more than simply a, an affection. That's part of it, yes. But it goes so much deeper than that. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It isn't arrogant or rude. Love isn't bullish by insisting on its own way. Love isn't irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. True love never ends. Interesting thing, this love. You know, as our scene opens up in John chapter 21, we're, we're going to find several of the disciples together by the Sea of Tiberias. And Peter, of all people, is about to be confronted with the true essence of this love as it relates to his life and his pursuit. Let's take a look at John chapter 21 together. We're going to read the first eight verses here to start off. And John says this, After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of the disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. 
They said to him, we will all go with you. They went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered to him and said, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, and he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land but we're about 100 yards off. In this text, we find that the disciples are all together again, or some of them rather. We have Thomas. We've got the skeptic turned believer. We've got Nathaniel of Cana, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and two other unnamed followers. And Jesus had just appeared to them in chapter 20 undoubtedly calming their fears and reinvigorating a passion for his purposes in coming and dying. They were beside the sea when Peter said, I'm going fishing. I like this guy, Peter. Sounds like fun, right? I'm going fishing. He was ready to get out in the boat. And as they went out in the water, in the cool of the evening, all was quiet and the fish were eluding them. Something else I can relate to. You know, me and Brad Hutchison went out on Lake St. Clair. We spent hours and caught nothing. You know, and as he went out in the water, the fish were eluding them. And then all of a sudden, a voice calls from the shore in verse 5. Children, do you have any fish? Responding, I'm sure, in somewhat of an embarrassed tone, I imagine. Peter responded with a dejected no. Nothing. And the stranger from the shore urged them to cast on the other side. And when they did, much to their surprise, they were met with a haul of fish that was so great that they couldn't bring it in. John, in a state of excitement and joyful exuberance, comments in verse 7, It's the Lord. Peter, overcome with the news, threw on his outer garment, plunged himself headlong into the water, and approached the shore. And as they all followed to the shore in verse 9, they met Jesus on the bank with a fire. And as he prepared an early morning meal of fish and bread, Jesus urged them to join him for breakfast. And the scriptures say in verse 12 that none of them dared to ask, who are you? They knew his voice. They felt the familiar warmth in his words. They experienced his attentiveness to their needs. They knew in their hearts that this was, in fact, Jesus, their Messiah. And as the disciples finish breakfast, the scene advances in verse 15 as Jesus speaks directly to Peter. And he challenges his heart. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? As he motions to the rest of his friends. You know, like a red-hot dagger, I imagine those words 
must have pierced to the very heart of this outspoken servant. Do I love him? You know, I imagine that if Peter had boldness to express what was in his heart, you might have heard words, something like, have you not noticed, Jesus, that I have given all to follow you? I left my profession, Jesus. In Matthew 4, verse 18, I left my comforts, my security, my purpose in life. Being your friend, Jesus, isn't always easy. Following you oftentimes without immediately knowing where I'm heading or what I'm doing. Forsaking my friends, my family, forsaking all that is familiar. And now you're asking me, do I love you more than these? My friends? My companions? Peter responds in verse 15. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know I love you. You know, as Jesus drinks in the intentional words of his beloved servant, he measures his response and he replies to Peter in very careful words. He says, feed my lambs. I imagine that in that moment, Peter's mind must have gone immediately to Jesus' words in John chapter 10, where he says to to the people, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his lambs. Peter, I am the bread of life, and I am asking you not to forget the ones that I love, Peter. Feed them. Do not neglect them, Peter. Love them. Serve them. Lay down your life for them, Peter, as the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In other words, what I think he's saying to Peter is very simple. And this is our first point this morning. Be about my priorities. Be about my priorities. You know, for a guy like Peter, I imagine that doing the job was a really easy thing for him. Peter was a doer. He was a man of action. He was one of those guys that that moved his mouth less and and did more. I mean, he he was not about talk. He was about doing. He was about getting it done. You know, and Jesus was saying to Peter, be about the tasks that I've called you to do. In other words, a a word that comes to mind when I think of what Jesus was saying to Peter is this, this word of faithfulness. You know, and as we ponder this first point in our text this morning, I wonder how you would answer Jesus' pointed question in this text. Do you love me more than these? So I found myself looking at this and saying, well, what are the then these for me? You know, for Peter, it was his friends. It was his companions. For others, it might be different types of things that occupy our time and compete for our love and compete for our affections. Do you love me more than these? Are you faithfully picking up the mantle of our crucified and risen Lord? Are you running hard after the duties that bring life to the ones that he loves? Are you faithful in your pursuit of him? Are you caring for the lambs that he has entrusted to you? Your family, your friends, your ministry. Now, if you're you're like me, you might be saying to yourself, of course, Mike, I love him. I'm here, aren't I? I'm prioritizing the gathering this morning. You know, Jesus is calling Peter, though, to something very different. 
And it's more than simply mere presence that he's calling him to. What he's calling him to involves intentionality that sees the need for nourishment, both for his own soul and for the souls of those that were around him. He's calling us to this kind of intentionality. He's calling us to an appetite for him, an eagerness to run hard after him, a passion for him, a pursuit of those things which bring life. It involves discernment that enables you to identify the difference between that which is life-giving and that which drains life from you and from those whom you love. It involves a clear thinking. It involves a spirit-filled mental acuity that enables you to say no to the good so that you can say yes to the best. It involves discipline that enables you to make the choices that fuel a path of devotion. And when I say choices, I'm talking about early morning dedication, the on-your-knees-before-God type of dedication, the I-can't-get-enough-of-God's-word type of dedication, the I'm-starving-in-my-walk type of dedication, and I desperately need to cling to you, God. A willingness to get after it, shedding the earthly comforts, investing in that which matters for all eternity. It involves steadfastness that enables you to endure through the harshest of opposition. Do you love Jesus? You know, there's a lot of things that I love, brothers and sisters. But do I love Jesus in this way? Do you love Jesus in this way? You know, how do I measure this kind of love? I was asking myself this question. When I think about my own walk with God, how do I measure this kind of love? What would serve as a litmus test for me to be able to say, yes, I do, or no, I don't? How do I know when I'm pursuing this kind of passion, this kind of love in my own life? Well, here's some questions that helped me think about this. When I'm given the choice between two competing interests, one of earthly importance and one of heavenly significance, what do I choose? Entertainment. Think about leisure choices. Think about relationships. You know, I ask myself, you know, if I'm really interested in understanding where I stand in this pursuit and how I'm actually doing in this type of love, I have to look at my life and ask the question, what percentage of my time and energy and effort am I pouring into this kind of pursuit? When I look at my weekend time, How quickly am I ready to run away from the gathering so that I can pursue the things that give me fleeting happiness here on this earth? Or am I looking at my weekends as an opportunity to gather with God's saints and be in front of his word and grow in his truth and be nurtured in my walk? Incredibly convicting. What percentage of my year is devoted to the tasks of running hard after that which gives life. But not only that, 
You know, when I'm faced with the Spirit's nudge to take a step that's difficult and will most certainly lead to earthly hardships, how do I respond? Things such as giving sacrificially. You know, I asked the question in my own heart. I looked at my bank account and you know, what percentage of my resources am I devoting to God's kingdom work? Or am I draining my resources on, on the pursuits of this world? Am I giving at all? Giving sacrificially. But not just that. Gospel witness. Who am I actively praying for and pursuing in gospel relationships? Am I living my life in a way that sees the gospel as real? That sees the consequences of disobedience as legit? Am I going after people on my block, on my street that don't it relates to my family and how I'm investing my time? Or do I spend my time apart from church thinking, man, I can't wait to get back to church where I can be around people that think like me. We were saved for a purpose. And God, and Jesus rather, was, was expressing to Peter, this is a purpose that I have for you. Be about my priorities. Another question I ask myself is when confronted with my own lack of spiritual discipline and change means a disruption of my comfort, my ease, my complacency, how do I respond? Peter, do you love me? Church family, do you love me? Be about my priorities. You know, as the story soldiers on in verse 16, Jesus inquires of Peter yet a second time. He says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? I imagine that Peter must have felt a little bit of irritation at this point. As the one whom he admired more than anyone else on the face of the earth inquired yet again, do you love me? If Peter had said what was in his mind, I imagine that what he might have replied would be something like, Jesus, I was willing to say the words that others we're thinking, but we're too afraid to say. I was eager to follow you to the very end, Jesus, which is partially why I got so irritated when you let them kill you. Right? I, Jesus, when others stood paralyzed in fear in the garden, I was ready to split Malchus in half. He was lucky that all he came away with was just a severed ear. I was aiming for the middle of his head do I love you? Verse 16 records Peter's words, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then Jesus says to him again, tend my sheep. Tend my sheep. Peter, watch out for them. Keep them from harm. Guard them. Protect them. Care for them. Love them. Give your life for them. Peter, Love my mission. Love my mission. And that's our second point here this morning. You know, Luke 19 records that Jesus' purpose in coming to earth was to seek and to save his sheep. Peter, I've ransomed them with my very life. See to it that no harm comes to them. Church family, just as Jesus was calling to Peter, so his words ring true to us 
this morning. Church family, do you love me? Are we running hard after the mission that God has given us? And what is that mission? What is that mission? Well, it's a mission of rescue. Pursuing those that are far from him. This is what God has called us to. If you say, I am a a brother or a sister in Christ. I've given my life to Jesus. I am a follower of his way. Then what is he calling us to? He's calling us to a rescue mission. That's why he says, go into all the world. Right? He's telling us to go to find them. To seek them. It's a mission of rescue. But not only that, it's a mission of instruction, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. He wants us to be his spokespeople. He wants us to be his ambassadors, to reflect his glory, to reflect his holiness, his righteousness, his godliness. It's a mission of instruction. It's a critical mission of disciples making disciple makers. It's a mission of reproduction. You know, the sign of a healthy church is reproduction. You know, we can grow in number and still be unhealthy. Holy Spirit. If we're not rescuing those that are far from him. It's a critical mission of disciples making disciple makers. Jesus desired for Peter to love the work for which he gave his life. Love my mission. Parents, do I see my kids with eternity in view? Do I see that? When I look at my kids, am I thinking in terms of eternity? You know, we're about a great many things as parents, and it's, it's hard. I've got four kids. I feel the tension, and this was the gut punch for me. I can be about a great many things in the lives of my kids, but am I about the things that are most needful for them? Do I give as much attention to their spiritual well-being as I do in managing their schedules? Do I see them as lost and in desperate need of saving? Am I eager to teach them the priorities of running hard after Jesus over chasing after that which vanishes away? Most importantly, am I leading them as an example in that pursuit? Do I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Am I running hard after him in my own quiet time? Am I, as a dad, leading the charge? Or am I a Bible-less pansy? I know that's strong. But the reality is, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to take up this mantle. We need to see it. We need to seize it. We need to lay hold of it. Am I demonstrating a passion for the priorities that fuel life? Are they seeing in me the life that Jesus is calling all of us to live? Am I faithfully creating a culture of grace in my home that demonstrates the priority of Jesus' mission? Praying for the lost. Pursuing gospel relationships with others prioritizing the eternal over the temporal. Parents, Jesus is calling us to love his mission. You know, the challenge, though, isn't just for us as parents. 
As Jesus is talking to Peter in verse 16, he sees Peter as a leader in his church. He sees Peter as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an elder, as one who he's going to use in a great and mighty way. So pastors, teachers, shepherds, servants, do you view your ministry as an opportunity to impart gospel truth to those whom God has called you to minister to? Nursery workers, when you're holding those little babies in your arms, are you praying gospel truths over their lives? Or are you looking at your watch and saying, wow, pastor's going long today. I know that that's a reality that we all deal with. But do we look at our ministry in this regard and say, you know what? God has called me to love them. And the most important love I could have for them is gospel love. So I'm holding this little baby in my arms and I am praying that they would give their hearts to Jesus. I'm praying for their spouse one day. I'm praying for their mission one day, that they would seize it, that they would run hard after it. I'm praying for their family. I'm praying for the ministry that God has in store for them. Nursery workers, Sunday school teachers, and other servants. There's other ways in which we serve, but do we look at our ministry as an opportunity to impart gospel? Do I earnestly pray for those in my care that God would get a hold of their hearts and through the power of his spirit, teach them what it means to love Jesus with every fiber of their being? Do I pursue the rescuing of their souls with persistent faithfulness? As I prepare for my different responsibilities, do I see my ministry as vital and urgent and appropriately give preparation and prayer and study as it's needed? Do I run to the throne saying, God, I can't do this without you? Or am I tempted to look at my lesson and say, wow, this is a really easy bit of subject matter. I could probably cover this in my sleep. So I'm going to sleep. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, it's time for us to take up inventory of our hearts and examine with Peter the depth of our love for Jesus and his mission. If we love him, we must joyfully embrace his mission. That means saying no to earthly priorities in order that I might say yes to those things which fuel life both for me and for those whom God has called me to lead. And the same is true for us as a body. Sadly, brothers and sisters, those in our care are taking their cues from us. And I say sadly because I, I look even my own life and I see the ways in which my kids have observed me and the ways in which some of my worst traits that I wish would just stay buried are reproducing themselves in that next generation. And it breaks my heart. It's time for us to demonstrate our love for God by a radical devotion to his mission a passion for his truth. And as this scene wraps up here in John chapter 21, in verse 17, Jesus comes to Peter one more time and he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And in the latter part of verse 17, as this story wraps up, Peter reveals a bit of his frustration with the conversation as he replies to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Undoubtedly, Peter realized in that moment that Jesus had a bigger purpose 
in asking this question. Clearly, Jesus was seeking to make a point in Peter's heart and in Peter's life. And this point was profound and impactful and powerful. What Jesus was calling him to was more than simply a job. And if Peter's thinking about it as a job, he's going to miss the point. What Jesus was calling him to was more than a passionate love for a mission that encompassed all of life. This is important, yes. Jesus responds to Peter in the latter part of verse 17, and he says it a third time. He says, feed my sheep. And while on the surface, it may be hard for us to truly get what it is that Jesus was getting at. The main point really into focus as we read on in verses 18 and 19. Let's look at this together. John 21, verses 18 and 19. He says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What is it that he's saying to Peter in this text? Well, Peter, there was a time when you saw your life as your own. You saw your priorities as your own. You saw your purposes as your own. The times have changed, Peter. My calling on your life needs to be crystal clear. Living for me, loving me, pursuing my mission for your life. This means committing yourself to a radical way that's going to end in martyrdom. Peter, it's going to take your life. This is a big deal. Peter, do you love me? Are you ready to die for me? And this brings us to our third and final point here this morning. Peter, be the man that I am calling you to be. Church family, be the leader that I am calling you to be. What is it that he's saying to Peter? Well, he's saying that this calling is not about autonomy. It's not about autonomy. Embrace your purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, says, You have been bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to me. I ransomed you. Therefore, I have a right to expect you to give your life to me. This calling is not about autonomy. This calling is not about the American dream, brothers and sisters. Forsake the pressures and priorities of this world. Fully surrender. Fully surrender. You know, Luke 9, 23 says that if any would come after me, he must deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. God, I want to run hard after you. I'm going to say no to some of these things that may feel good so that I can say yes, God, to all of these things that are great. God, I want to be about your mission. Woman that I am calling you to be. Be the child that I am calling you to be. Be the student that I am calling you to be. Be the college-age young person that I am calling you to be. Run hard after that which gives life. Love the people that Jesus 
has called you to love. Minister in the ways that Jesus is empowering you to minister. Go to your grave with no regrets, having given all to the cause of Christ. Embrace it with urgency, brothers and sisters. James 4.14. James says, what is life? But it is a mist. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, I have one of those vaporizers or whatever they call it, where you put the little smelly oils in there and it goes... That mist, have you ever tried to catch the mist? Hover your hand over that and you kind of collect it under here, but it escapes and it, urge, it moves its way through your, through your fingers. You know, that's life. It's a mist. One day you blink, the next day it's gone. And what is my job with that mist? It's to redeem the time because the days are evil. It's to go after that vapor and spend it wisely. Sadly, many of us are doing this with the time, and we're watching it roll, and we're missing it. Run hard after that which gives life. You know, this encounter was a gut check for Peter. It's a gut check for me. It's a gut check for all of us as well. You know, as I studied the text leading up to this morning, I did an inventory on my own life, and the results were painful. You know, I, I said to Pastor Daniel, I, I'm really excited about this passage. I said, but it is a toe stomper. It's one that I feel the pain and the pinch as I look at the truths of this text because I see the ways in which my own life falls hopelessly short of expressing my love for my Savior in this radical way. And I know I'm not alone in that. I know I'm not alone in that. I realize that a message of this nature will likely irritate some. Kind of like when I have an open wound and I'm pouring peroxide on that open wound. Anybody like that sting? It's not fun, yet it has a purpose. It's to cleanse, it's to disinfect, it's to heal. When I look at the word and I see these things glaring back at me, I have an opportunity to respond. You know, some of us will undoubtedly lean into the cleansing power of these words. We'll embrace its message, we'll change, we'll grow. Others may react to this message and its sting and pull away. And I hope that that's not you, though. I hope that we look at this challenge and we see this calling that God has placed on our lives through the power of the gospel and run hard after it. I know, though, that there are some of you probably who are here this morning and you'd say, you know what, Pastor Mike? I don't know that kind of love. I don't know that kind of love. I've never experienced the power of God's grace in my life. I've never given my life to him. I've never surrendered my way. I've never yielded to the power of the gospel and said, God, I surrender everything. And if that's you this morning, there is no better time than now for you to say, God, I realize and I recognize that I have fallen hopelessly short of your glory. And as a result of that crushing weight of sin in my life, I realize and I recognize that I deserve nothing but death and separation from you for all eternity. But God, I want to lean into your grace this morning. Cleanse my heart.
I confess my sin. I embrace the power of your gospel. And God, I want to love you this way. Come to him today. Seek one of us out. We would love to talk to you and share with you what it means to know him. I'm going to invite the worship team up as we wrap up our time here this morning. You know, thankfully for us, Peter leaned into the challenge. He leaned into it. And he went to the very end pursuing all that Jesus had for him. He was obedient. He demonstrated a heart of faith. He demonstrated a heart of care, a heart of concern, a heart of love, a heart of compassion, a heart that was dominated by gospel priorities. He sought to redeem every moment. Peter wasn't perfect, but man, did Peter love Jesus. You know, the question for all of us here this morning is, do you love him? If you do, be about his priorities. Love his mission. And be the man, the woman, the child, the student that God has called you to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are, for all that you've done. We thank you for your grace, for your truth, for dear God, that you would help these truths to resonate in our hearts this morning, that would use us in a mighty way, God. Help us, God, to lean into your grace and goodness. Help us to confess our failures and our shortcomings this morning. God, that we might live out this kind of radically devoted love. God, we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for everything you do in us and through us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. And all God's children said, amen.